Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Tito, about two weeks ago, I believe it was, shared a story with me. I don't want to get into it. I want him to share it. It's his story, and plus, I'm not, I, I do bad with telling people stories. My wife's saying yes, but, but he, he, he actually, I think we spoke the day it, was, it happened. I think I spoke to him the, later on that day, or maybe it was the next day. And I'm like, dude, that's crazy that that happened to you. That, that. And I said, look, we're in loving neighbor. I need you to share that story, and I need you to give testimony of that. Um, so he's preparing a word from the Lord so, um, around that testimony, and then I'm going to come up after him, and I'm going to close up. Um, um, the sermon, so it, it's kind of like a tag team where I'm going to preach at the end, but what's powerful about this is yesterday, and Tito, you can come up here and, and say it to them if I'm lying, we're not, we're still wild about it, I text him and I said, I said, what are your thoughts for tomorrow, like, you know, we should probably sit down and make sure we're on the same page, that's what people with structure do, and, and maybe we should order it, I said, what is your plan for tomorrow, kind of late, if you would have gone left, and I would have gone right, he's like, well, I'm talking about, and he says what he's talking about, I'm like, I literally, I don't know if I wrote shut up or oh wow or holy cow or this is crazy. And I said, I'm going to take you a screenshot of exactly, of my notes exactly. And um, we both are preaching on the same topic. And I said, all right, so I guess this is definitely from the Lord. So I, I know that he's going to start something where I guess I'm going to end it. But I know it's not a coincidence that God put us both on the same thing. It's something that I haven't even spoken about from the last three weeks. And for some reason, I'm going to share it today. And he was going to come up, and he's like, this is what I was thinking. I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's the same thing I'm talking about. So I know God's going to speak to us. So we just want to go ahead and, and open it up for him, let him start us off, and um, let's continue with Loving Neighbor Part 4. You could start your notes, take out your notes, and let's get ready um, to come before his word. Amen. Amen. Pray for my stomach. It's a little bit, like, weird. I don't know if it's me trying to come up here. I get weird about it and, or, or, or the spirit of God, I don't know, whatever it is, but um, went to the bathroom and uh, fellas, don't worry, I courtesy flushed and double portion of Febreze, so I bless you with that. <laughs> like Elijah, right? I said, bless you, I bless you. Um, so uh, I have, you know, before I even begin, Something powerful happened in this place just now. Um, and when I was there, what I was, what I was hearing was I was hearing one body, like one voice, one body singing out. I, I, I didn't hear one person in particular. I heard this body, and to me it represents, and it was, to me it was like the voice of a child or a, or a lover. Like a, when, I, when I heard us singing together, and it was so powerful. Can we do something? Can we turn the lights on for a moment? Just turn all the lights on. I want to invite you guys to close your eyes for a second. If you can close your eyes. And I want us to sing that right now. With, with the same passion that we had when we were raising our voice. I'll start it. Abba, I belong. Abba, 
Lord, I pray that your word will come forth, Lord, that we would have a heart of a child, Lord, of identity of a beloved, Lord Jesus, what you've called us, Lord Jesus, that, that you would speak to our hearts, Father, that you, would, that you would just do something inside of us as we, under, as we receive this word today, Lord Jesus, and just guide me, guide my heart, guide my, my thoughts, Lord, Father God, and, and every word that proceeds from my mouth, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, the, the, <clears throat> the heart of a father, the moment he, see, he hears his child singing changes in a moment. You know, when, when, when you can raise your voice that way and it becomes a one voice, when my it reminded me of my daughter. It's like I was hearing my daughter's voice. And the moment my daughter sings, everything stops. Amen? The moment my daughter sings, everything stops. Um, so I'm going to give you guys a testimony. Let me time this. I want to give you guys a testimony of something that happened to me. Um, I, most of you guys know the story of my, of my neighbor. This is my neighbor's story. Um, and I'm going to title this, I'm not going to title it because the way, don't put this as the title of the message, but I'm going to title it The Poop, the poop Chronicles. The, <laughs> the, my, my neighbor and I have for those of you who don't know, most of you know, um, we, there's been a lot of issues, a lot of history between us. Um, I'm going to just really quickly tell you, you know, I had issues when I was trying to put up a fence and they were fighting me for the fence that I wanted to put up. And it got really ugly really fast with them. And um, God was dealing with me in so many ways with regards to my neighbor and having to love my neighbor. <laughs> and... Um, what happened recently, more recently, was um, I had received a citation from my neighbor uh, for allowing my dog to poop on her yard. And I'm going to tell you what happened. Uh, one time, did someone go whoop? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, that's how I felt at first. I was like, yeah, woo, poop. <laughs> but <laughs> what happened is one time, I, one day I came home and my, my neighbor was screaming top of her lungs at my wife and my daughter was right next to her and uh you know using profanity and she was saying pick up the poop but in a nasty way and uh, I walked into my house and I see my wife come in and she my wife was all like Jenny was like oh my god I, you know what just happened I said I, I heard and she said she just started going off on me and um that wasn't that wasn't Luna's poop I know this because there's some other dogs, stray dogs that walk around. I have pictures of it that also room and just poop. But anyways, I got upset and I let my dog start pooping on her yard. <laughs> I'm serious. It was, it was wrong. It was wrong. And um, I let it happen. I, there was about on three occasions, at three occasions for sure, three, maybe four, but that's it. <laughs> Uh, that I let my dog poop on her yard. And I, I, received, this, I, I, I received notices about it, and I stopped because Jenny was telling me, Tito, don't do that because you know how she is. She's going to end up, doing, something's going to happen. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I stopped. But then I started receiving the letters from animal control. I started receiving letters from the health department. You can't do that anymore. And then from then on, 
this lady was like, like after me. It was like she used that as leverage. So instead of stopping, okay, I stopped. I didn't, ha- it didn't happen anymore. She pursued to get a witness, which never witnessed anything. Um, it's the truth. It was, it was her, um, her long guy. To say that, yes, that my dog was still uh, being a nuisance. So what happens is I received a citation. And um, when I spoke to the animal control officer, I was telling her, look, I, this, is, this, this is ridiculous. I had received my notices and I had stopped. And actually, I have proof of that because the health department in their reports shows that they didn't find anything else anymore. But she proceeded to get a witness so she can offer me a citation. So what happened is that I felt that it was wrong, that I should stand up for this and defend myself. And so instead of just paying the citation, I said, I'm going to take this to court. So I, she, uh, with the encouragement of the animal control officer, she told me, look, take it to court. It does, it's, it's just, uh, it, it wouldn't hurt. Take it to court. I know the, the judge. He's going to throw this, this case away. You have, you have, you know, a good, I guess, what, what is it? That you have a good case, you know, like what, what, what you've been through. Um, he's going to hear you out, and he's, he's going to toss this. He, he's going to ask you if, if it's continuing, and it's done. I said, okay, fine. So I, I did it. I sent it in. I said, okay, let's go to court. Uh, I feel weird saying that. I've never done that in my life, okay? But I did. That's what I did. And um, time had passed, and they had reset the date that I was going to go to court. It was initially in July, and then they reset the time to, uh, to, to early August, and in the process of that, you know, I was writing out my thoughts. You know, I was writing, man, you know, why, why, I was examining myself too. Quite honestly, before God, I was saying, you know, Lord, I, you know, what, what is, what am I thinking that's wrong? You know, am, am I doing, what am I doing is wrong or is this right? And I just felt justified in what I was doing. So I, I pursued it. Um, so then uh, when, after they reset the date, after that moment, I had a dream. And in my dream, uh, I was standing in the court, and I was before, you know, it was a courtroom with those people behind me. There was a whole court before me, and, and my, my neighbor right next to me. And when I look over, I have my daughter next to me. I, I get emotional when I talk about my daughter, you know. And um, I started speaking in court, but it had nothing to do with what occurred. I started speaking into court about God. I started speaking in the middle of court and before the judge, I started speaking about Jesus. I started speaking about love and I started speaking about forgiveness. And, and, and I felt that there was a couple things occurring in that moment when I was doing it in the dream. I heard the voice of God say, I'm pleased with you. And then I heard, and then I looked at my daughter and I felt legacy pouring out into my daughter. So I wake up from the dream and I knew that God was telling me that this, is, this needed to become a reality. And I was like, whoa. I don't know if, you know, if I tell my wife that I'm going to take my daughter to court, she's probably not going to like that. You know, it's not the place you want to take a kid. So, uh, so I said, oh, man. And I didn't tell her. I didn't tell my wife the dream. I was like, Lord, I know this is going to happen. I don't, and I'm not going to lift a finger. And so it just so happens that this was around the time that school for us starts over there. So the day that they, we had set, that they, they had reset uh, 
the court date for us was the day that I was actually supposed to take care of my daughter and nobody else was going to be able to take care of her. And I told, that's when I told my wife, I said, listen, um, I want to take Alicia with me to court. There's a reason why I want to take her to court. I still didn't tell her. I didn't want to tell her because I wanted God to do something. So um, I said, I, I, I really know that I have to take her to court with me. Something's going to happen. So at first she was like, no, that's not the place for her. But it all worked out where really there was no other option. So I took her with me. So that day came and I'm, we're going to court. And, um, and I start talking to my daughter about what's about to happen. I talked to her about what the courtroom's going to look like, why I'm going. I start telling her about what I did wrong. I said, look, I let, Papa let Luna poop on our neighbor's yard. <laughs> and, and I started speaking to her about consequences in life and how we have to pay for the consequences, the things that we do in our life. Even if we ch change, even if, if we are good people, it doesn't matter. If we make a decision, there will be a consequence. And whether we may change after that, there's still a pay up a payment that needs to be made. And so, and I said, and, and I might, when, I, when we go, and in my, in my mind, because in the dream, I never received a revelation that I was going to be um, found innocent or anything, that it was going to go in my favor. I didn't. But I actually felt that God was telling me that I was going to be guilty. But I pursued it on purpose because I knew that God was going to do something. So, I started talk, talking to her about forgiveness and about why I went there, and it was to love our neighbor. It was to show our neighbor something different, to let her know that Jesus is real, that he lives inside of us, and that we can change, that we, and we were supposed to be this image. So she understood. She was just, like, listening completely, and then she was asking about the judge. She was scared, you know? And then so we go to court, and, uh, and we finally, our turn comes up, I'm... In the room, there's about 20 or 30 people around us. And the, the judge calls us up. And he, in my dream, the, there was, as I was speaking, love of Christ, as I was speaking about Jesus, there were accusations coming at me. You know, there was defamation coming at me. And, um, and I simply ignored it and just continued to speak out Christ. So, so when I went there, I know exactly what I needed to say. And um, she, the, my neighbor, he asked her to speak first, and he, she started to speak. And she was saying how, you know, what had happened, you know. And, and a lot of things she says was not true, simply not true. But, I might, but God was telling me that it didn't matter what she said. And um, after she spoke, he turns to me and he goes, what do you have to say? And I said, um, I go, you know, I came here for one reason. I said, everything she had, she just said is true. I said, I said, my dog did poop on her yard. I let my dog poop on her yard. And I actually stopped allowing that. But I said, but I didn't come to defend what she's, what she's speaking about me. I came to say that I came here for my, my, for my daughter, and I came here to say that we may do something wrong in our lives, but we can always change, and we can always represent Christ and our faith correctly. And I came to say that I represented my God wrong, and I want to tell the court that 
I, because I love Christ, I came here to show my daughter that who I am as an individual is not somebody that needs to be justified, but somebody that needs to stand right before God. And, um, and after I said that, my, my daughter was, was literally grabbing my, my leg, and it was the dream exactly. She was holding onto my leg in the dream, and in reality, she was, she was stuck to me. She, her head was here, her arms were like this. And then um, after I said that, my neighbor comes back and starts saying, Your Honor, I just want to point out that he just admitted that what he did, he did with malice, with malcontent. He, she started defaming me. After all I did was say, I'm, and I looked to her and I said, I just want to tell her as I said before, because I apologized to her before. Before we went to this whole thing happened. I actually went up to her and I was apologizing to her. I apologized to her twice. So three times. And then now this time I came and I was, and in the middle of court I was like, and I just want to say once again, I am sorry for everything I did. And, um, and then after that she came back and she started saying, you know, I just want to point out that he, he admitted that he was doing things wrong and he's, um, she was just talking more tr trash <laughs> at me. You know, she was just kept going at me. And the judge stopped her, bro. He just like, boom, like he interjected her like, like this. And he goes, no, I'm sorry, man. I think Mr. Zeno said exactly how he felt. I think he, he feels complete remorse for what he did. And he's, he's admitted to that, what he did. And, and he said that he will never do that again. I think he was very clear in his words. So no, I disagree with you. He stopped her, man. And I was like, wow. So... After he said that, he goes, I, I, I hope that you guys, even you don't have to like each other. You don't have to be friends. But I hope that you guys can at least learn to live by each other. And I then added something else without him asking me. I said, Your Honor, uh, with all due respect, I'm not called just to be okay with somebody next to me. I'm not just called to live in quote unquote peace with somebody. I'm called to love them. And I want to be her friend. And I said, and I hope that one day maybe we can ha that can happen. She didn't even look at me. <laughs> but, um, and, I, and when I spoke, I, I would look at her. I would look at her. I know she didn't look at me because I, I wasn't talking to him. I was talking to her. And I would turn my face and I would look at her and I would talk because if I had one opportunity, she could look at my face. I hope she see Jesus. Um, so... So after this, the judge says, well, um, he put down the gavel and he says, you know, Mr. Zeno, can you pay the fine today? And I said, yeah, absolutely. He goes, well, I find you guilty for, you know, for what you did. And I said, amen. I was like, in my mind, I was like, amen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it taught my daughter something. I went there and I, I could have sent in the citation and paid for what I did wrong, a hundred bucks. But I went in there and I paid almost double for what I did wrong. But God was telling me that I may have lost the battle or I may have lost the fight, but he, he wins the battle. And the battle was what was going on with my daughter. The battle was what was going to go in that courtroom and the testimony that was going to be given with the people around me. And that's what he wanted. It was an opportunity of our wrong to repre represent Jesus. And he goes, he goes about and turns all that over. And all of a sudden, instead of impacting one person with bad, he impacts a bunch of people with Christ. And that was my purpose.
And so in the midst of all this, um, I want, I, God began to speak to me. I told you guys that one of the things he was giving me was legacy. Um, and he continued to give me that word. Um, and the first thing he began to talk to me about was this, and it was righteousness. And this is what I wanted to share today. I'm going to be as brief and concise as I can. There's a lot that I want to say, but I will try to give you guys the gist of what I'm trying to say, okay? The word righteousness, the Greek word is dikaiosin. <laughs> I think I said that correct. Dikaiosin, okay? And it is this, righteousness. The state of him who is as he ought to be. The state of him who is as he ought to be. A state approved by God. Not simply justified, but approved. I wrote that. Correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So what was going on there was I knew that I went there when I went to the, when I, when I had my dream and what occurred was not that I was going, at first my mind was on, you know, I have, there's something unjust here. There's something that I felt I need to be justified. And that's the heart that I began with. And you know what? Through examination, I actually felt that that was right. And I don't think there was anything wrong with that. But what God did was he set back the date. He says, I got to talk to you a little bit before you go. And he did. And the dream he gave me was of one standing before a judge and before people, not as one being justified, but one as standing righteous. Why? Because my way of thinking changed. I began to think correctly when I began to obey the dream that God was giving me. I began to feel what I was supposed to feel for my neighbor correctly. Not something to come in as a defense, but something that can pour out love. I began to act according to what he was speaking to me. Acting according to righteousness. It was as I was ought to be. Like the word says, I was able to come into a state of how I would, was supposed to be, as I was called to be. I'm going to give you something else. In a state of how I was created to be. Do you know we were created to be that way? See, this is the message of, of righteousness that, that I, I think we as a body are beginning to learn how to inherit and how to function in. That it's not just a place where we feel justified because he came and he cleansed us from our sins. But all of a sudden, we start seeing that he's calling us into a righteousness identity. Where we can function as we ought to be. Where we can think as we ought to think. Believe as we ought to believe. Where we can feel and act as we ought to believe. So I was approving myself. But he was going to, I wasn't going to present myself approved in righteousness, I wanted to present myself approved through justice and to be justified. And this, I wrote this, I was right in who I was being. I was right when I went there in who I was being myself, but I wasn't right in being who I was called to be. Did you guys get that? I was right in being myself. I was right in feeling justified. I was right in carrying this out in a way that seemed correct. But the problem is that I wasn't being right in whom he calls me. He calls me righteous through Jesus. I was right in being me. I was approving myself, but I wasn't going to present myself approved in righteousness. I want you guys to ask yourself that question. Yes, um, you may be justified, but
but are you presenting yourself approved? Are you presenting yourself approved by God? And it's not by works, guys. What we do here is not by works. We don't come and, and offer works we know. It's not what, what um, he approves us with. It's not our works. But I want to take you guys here. John 14, 12. It says like this. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. He will, he, God says that we would do greater works than him. But what was that work based on? It was that he was in me and I was in him. The work of righteousness is the greatest work that God ever did for us. He was nailed on the cross. He died, right? Raised. And because of his righteousness, now we inherit this righteousness ourselves. So John 14, 12 shows us that our greater works is because he went to his father was the only way that we can receive his righteousness. That's the way, he, that's, that's why he went up. He went up and because of what he gave us, now we can inherit righteousness in him. Um, the Bible says in, in uh, Matthew 6, 33, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what it says. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. So when we seek God, the, the kingdom, what we always speak about seeking the kingdom and righteousness, then all these other concerns that we have in life, all those things are added to us because we focus on those, those things, the kingdom of God, and we seek his righteousness, not our own, but God's. In, in, um, in John 17, 21 through 23, if we can turn there, John 17, 21 through 23. Uh, 17. It says this. Uh, that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us in us that the world may believe that you sent me Jesus is saying that Lord I pray that they may be in me as I am in you and that they may be in us there's an us that we need to function in an us that God calls us to be and there's when we can be in that us that means we're in him He's in us. If that's the case, then we are called into that same righteousness that Jesus has, that Jesus is. Um, and I wanted to take you guys to Ephesians 2.10 because that kind of uh, spoke about how we are created. And this is what I want to uh, really kind of focus on real quick. Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says this, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay. We are his workmanship created for good works. We are created to be righteous. Can you guys see that? When we are created by God to do good works, we are a new creation, right? When we come to the Lord, he makes us new. We are not the same person. Behold, 
All things have passed away. Now all things are new. He makes us a new creation. Who is he creating? What does he create? He, he creates something that is righteous. So he creates us for good works. That means we produce that righteousness, righteousness inside of us. It comes forth because of who we are and who we've been created. We are his product. We accomplish good works only because we were created that way. And I wonder if you guys can understand that there's an inheritance inside of you that allows you to function as one righteous, even though we, are not just, we might not be justified in this world. Um, and, and that's in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 16 through 17. It says, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, we, us, as believers, me and you, when I look at you, when you look at me, don't regard me according to the flesh anymore. I know I'm flesh. I know I have faults. But don't let your expectations just be, well, he's, he's just a sinner. Well, when you look at me, when I look at you, let's uphold each other. With what? With the spirit of Christ that lives inside of us. We can see each other. And we don't regard ourselves anymore according to the flesh and what and the sin that, that, bound, that binds us and the things that, that affect us. But all of a sudden, we can look each other in spirit and say, man, I know you can do in Christ things that you, 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 don't, you, you can't believe. So we regard each, uh, each other according to the flesh. And in verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So if we're created in Christ now anew, then he's calling us to live anew. This, this whole issue took me back to Jesus when he stood before uh, the high priest. You guys remember once they arrested Jesus, they, the first place they took him was to the high priest. And I want, I want to take you guys here in John 18. Um, Jesus stands before the, the first time after they arrest him. The first thing he does, he stands, they take him to the high priest. Um, and his name is Anas. He was a father-in-law of Caiaphas. Um, he's the first person that, that had to stand before someone, uh, that Jesus had to stand before. And in John 18, verse 19 through 24, you, let, let's read it. John 18, verse 19 through 24. It says like this. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in the secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. Well, you know that in all accounts in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the gospels, do you know that this is the only account of him giving an actual defense for himself? Do you know what the defense was? Ask those people who heard me. Ask those people who saw me. You see, he never felt he had to give any sort of defense for himself. He didn't feel he had to justify himself before anybody. Because all he knew he had to do was remain righteous. He, all he knew he had to do was remain as he was. He was righteous before his God. And if anybody questioned it, he realized that, or I found, I, when I read this, that truth needs no defense. 
there's no fault found in truth. There's none. So what do you do if someone asks you whether you did something or didn't or, or all you got to do if you have been that testimony of righteousness is say, well, don't ask me, ask them. One time, I, one time Regal, or I, I don't know, I was talking to, I was with Regal and, and, and Maori and I forgot who else, or I, I sent him something and I, and I sent him a text and I said, you know, if you want to know who I am and where I stand, don't ask me, ask my wife. She's a better judge of where I'm actually at. I might tell you I'm, I'm something, but ask her, she'll tell you the truth. And, and I think this is almost like the picture of what Jesus was doing. He didn't want to be justified. He wasn't trying to be justified. And that's what he was speaking to me through this whole thing that I had experienced. He just was calling me to maintain righteousness. And when that, when that truth is faced with opposition, like Jesus was, like what I was faced with opposition, and I hold on to that truth, that truth only amplifies God. Like I said, instead of affecting one person negatively, I, I believe that I was able to affect a whole room by him. Why? Because I amplified the truth in maintaining my righteousness before God and expressing his love for my neighbor. Um, I saw that, that Alicia became my defense and she came, became my testament because that was the legacy that he was asking me to, to release. He was, that was the reason why he was asking me to go there. It was because I was going to leave a legacy of love of Christ. That when Alicia speaks about me, when Alicia speaks about her father, she knows what I had gone through. She knows what I did. And she can stand and say, he might not be perfect, but he's a righteous man. And that's why I did it. You know, I just wanted to say, and to end with this, um, that this word it speaks a lot about a, going through a trial and, and having to stand before a judge. And, and you know, the funny thing is, throughout all this, um, I think that's our everyday. I think every day we have the eyes of the world upon us. And we have the eyes of the world judging. We stand before our judges every day. We stand before our accusers every day who stare at us and, 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 and look for, at every little thing we do. And what is our defense? What is, what is that testimony, testimony? What is the testament that we're leaving? And guess what? As we stand before that trial, as we stand before that judge, that testimony, that defense is the very people that watch us. We have nothing to say. All we have to do is inherit what he's called us to inherit and, and release what he's calling us to release. Legacy of righteousness and loving our neighbors. Amen. Man, the worship team could make their way up here. And um, what, what an ending this is and, and that statement and, and of uh, leaving a legacy of Christ's love. I want to share something with you and here's some, here's some things that really open your heart and... and listen to what he just said and, and if I were to call this anything and maybe I would even title even his um, segment of the message I would title it this uh, as we get into part four true 
uh, loving neighbor. It would be this true religion. What is true religion? True religion. What does that mean, true religion? I said earlier, we don't do this just to feel good. This is not just a religion thing. This is our fourth week, right, on this theme, loving neighbor. And I asked that, what is true religion? And that's my thought here today because we've heard some truths and truths that have challenged and encouraged and even convicted us. And you would think that when we say love, we said this earlier. I think sometimes, you know, the whole service is so important from beginning to end. Because God is speaking and flowing a word through the whole service. And when we use the word love, you would think that it would be natural. Maori sent me a podcast uh, this week of an individual. And it blessed my heart because this guy that he's, that's being interviewed is fighting for some truths. And he was a brother in the Lord. And he made a comment like this, and I wrote it in my notes, that, that when we talk about loving and love, it should be natural. To love others should come natural. That's what we were created. That's the intention of it. Love should be a natural thing, but in reality, it's the opposite. It's not as easy as it sounds. The Bible calls us out of our comfort zones to love others. To love others within our comforts is one thing. Listen to this, church. But to love others when it is difficult, when it brings forth persecution, well, that's a whole other thing. Love within a comfort zone is very easy, but love when it kind of rips us and stretches us from our comfort zone is totally different. To love, to, to be a loving neighbor, neighbor, it comes from a place which we learned in week two. It comes from a place of empathy and it comes from a place of compassion where I say what? You should learn that. You should have learned that already. I feel your suffering and I want to be part of relieving your suffering. That's what a loving neighbor is. I feel for it, and I want to be part of that team that's going to help relieve it. It doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that you just pray for the person, but you're also now involved with the person. You're involved in the person's life. You're responding to someone else solely because of that which is alive in you. Man, I don't, I'm going through this. I'm praying for you, brother. I don't want you just to pray for me. Sometimes I need you to just come up to me and hug me. Come up to me and say you're willing to cry with me. Be involved with me. And, and, and sometimes it, it moves us past the prayer. And it says, not just do I pray, but I want to be part of helping you heal. And helping you and teaching you what true love is through my actions and through my life. There, and that's, that's what God's calling us to. That's what we are. We are the bride. We are the church. We are the living organism of God. Man, there's people that are good in this world and they do a lot of good. I'm going to be very bold with you, but we're not called to be just good. It goes deeper. I'm telling you this right now, and here's where my righteousness message comes in. We're called to be holy, not necessarily good. We're called to be holy. We are holy. What is holy? What is holy? Thank you. Holy means we are set apart. And you understand, you understand when we say we are holy, we are set apart. I'm going to say this statement because we could back it up scripturally. Holy and set apart means, or it comes through the righteousness through Jesus Christ. Our holiness being set apart comes from his righteousness. There is nothing in me that is set apart away from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The one reason why I am set apart is because the righteousness of Christ is alive in me. And what does this mean? 
We're not just righteous people. Holy or set apart, just to say that phrase, in our faith. We're not just holy and set apart in our faith. We are his righteousness, meaning we are holy and set apart also in our doings. It's not just in what we believe, but it's also in how we execute what we believe. You could go to a trial and you could claim yourself to be true, but when you start to recognize that God didn't just call you to walk before the judge with what you know, but he's also asked you to display that in which you know. It's not just I'm set apart because I've come to believe and think different. No, listen. It's not just you're set apart because you've come to believe and think different. You're set apart because, yes, you do think and believe different, but now you start to live different. Why? You're set apart. By how? By what? By the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's alive in you. Hallelujah. What makes us different than this world? It's not that you just think different than the world. I'm different than this world. I think different than it. There's a lot of free thinkers out there. A lot of people are thinking a lot of different things. You thinking different does not mean you're different from the world. You living out the difference is what makes you different in this world. In Matthew 5, there's a crowd of people following Jesus. He makes sure, he makes sure to isolate himself with his disciples. There's a crowd, there's a mass. It could have been up to 20,000 people. That's a lot of people, okay? That's the AAA center. And he separates himself. He goes up to a mountain and he goes up with his disciples and he goes up there and he isolates himself with them. And why would Jesus isolate himself with his disciples? Because he wants to specifically instruct a certain group of people. I know there are crowds under this mountain, but I brought you to the mountain because I want to instruct you because eventually you're going to walk amongst those crowds. It's not going to always be me walking in it. You've seen me live out my love in the crowd. But when this man is removed from you, it's going to be your turn to walk in the crowd. So I'm taking you up to a mountain to instruct you in some truths. And he takes them up and he isolates with the disciples to instruct them in certain areas where really if you study the disciples' lives, they were still thinking and they were still living with this uncertainty. And before he begins his famous Sermon on the Mount preaching in this passage. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. He takes his disciples to this mountain, building this up for you. Okay? Building it up for you as we get ready to close here. Building it up. He sits with them on this mountain. He begins to speak to them and teach them on some truths that we would call today the B-attitudes. B-attitude. B-attitude. Been hanging out with y'all for a little while and I've been hearing you guys fighting over dinner and I've been hearing about who's the greatest and I've been hearing some things and some murmurings and some complainings. I'm going to sit up here for a little while because there's going to be a moment where you're going to have to walk with those crowds. So I'm going to teach you about be attitudes. I got to teach you about some stuff. See, they needed to know that they have responded to this lifestyle of salvation and repentance. If they have responded to this lifestyle... Why then is there still confusion about his kingdom? Why then, disciples, is there still confusion about the nature of his righteousness? So what Christ is trying to do with them is this. It's to clarify the heart of the law. Where maybe the disciples were still confused about the concept of what is, what is true religion. 
See, why would they, come on, you guys have to come back into the Bible here for a moment. Why would the disciples be so confused about what is true religion? Why this constant battle? Well, think about it. What were the disciples? They were a bunch of what? There's a constant battle in their minds about Judaism and the law. Why? Because there's many rabbis out there. Many rabbis, and, and these rabbis are teaching with their yokes. Their yokes are difficult, and their burdens are heavy. But now these 12 disciples, listen, are now learning under a different rabbi, one who was filled with grace, Rabbi Jesus, who, whose yoke is different than the other rabbis, whose burden is different than the other rabbis. This rabbi's yoke and this burden is now his teaching and his lifestyle is now what we would call, or what Jesus would call, easy and light. Where theirs is heavy and difficult. Walk with me and get delivered on some things, he's telling his disciples. Walk with me and get set free on some things. Walk with me and watch how I change the way the mind thinks. You're so used to in your religion thinking this way. But I'm going to go in there and I'm going to rip it up a little bit. And I'm going to cause you to start thinking this way. Walk with me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the disciples have a constant mind battle. Do we listen to those rabbis? But this man speaks words that we never heard before Whew. rabbi jesus is different rabbi jesus has something about him it would make sense where jesus is trying to teach his disciples where true religion from the heart lays you're so caught up in your religion you jews but i'm gonna show you where true religion lays in your heart it makes sense that Jesus' his own half-brother in the book of James writes these words. Jesus, his same blood runs through this brother. And he says, religion is that which is pure and undefiled before God the Father. It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from this world. What is James saying? True religion is not just what you believe. True religion is what you believe and how you live it out. That's what James is saying, and that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Holy cow. The righteousness of God will rip us and transform us. Part of what Jesus was doing was he was trying to show his disciples that you can't separate your mind from your heart. Let your heart, the Greek word is cardia, where we get the word cardiac. And he says, let your heart, let your cardio, which is the master. I taught this to my students every year. I see some of my old students, they know this word, and if they don't, shame on them. But cardio is the master control center of the human being, not the organ, the master center of the human being. And when Jesus says, let your heart operate from the truth in your mind, what is he saying? He's uniting the mind with the heart. I think a lot of what's going on up here is because it's not connected within here. That's what God's speaking to me at least. What's the issue in my mind? What's the issue in my mind? What's the issue in my mind? It's really the issue in my heart. It's not connected. So I got to connect the issue of the mind with the issue and the truth of the heart. And what I mean by that is may his word give knowledge to your mind. Amen. And may the spirit that lives in you set you apart in his righteousness. Tito said this, where Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, that your salvation is now a gift of God. And for you now are his workmanship, his poema. 
You are his written work. His poema is the exact word. And you were created just like an author, just like a poem writes his poems, just like a poet writes his poems. You were created. You were written in Christ Jesus for good works. You are the poem that is written for good works that God has prepared beforehand. Why, why, why good works? Because you're called to walk in them. Wait, I'm not called just to believe? What's the answer? I'm not called just to believe. I'm also called to walk in them. I'm not called just to believe. I'm also I'm a loving neighbor. Are you because you believe it? Or are you because you also do it? Are you a loving neighbor? Ask his wife. If he is. Ask the person next to you. Are you a loving neighbor? So he begins his discourse. And I'll read it. And we're done. And he says these beautiful and powerful words to his disciples. Matthew 5. He opened his mouth. It says as he grabbed his disciples up on a mountain. And in verse 2 going on to verse 3. He says to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Twice it's mentioned. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And he says rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed, 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 blessed are you. Blessed are these individuals. Blessed are those who do these things. The proper term for blessed there is happiness. Is happy. It's a state of one of, of man's beings. Is that individual living in this happiness. It can be translated to that. So he breaks down some words. Poor in spirit. Everyone say poor in spirit. Here it is. Ready? That's where we know that your needs are only met by God. Doesn't mean that you live poor. Oh, I'm called to be poor in spirit. No, it's where you know that every one of your needs is met by the true and living God. You're called to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Number two, everyone say mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. What does mourn mean? It means those who are filled with godly sorrow, not necessarily worldly sorrow. Many people say, I'm sorry, and it comes from a place of worldly sorrow. But God did not call any of us to have worldly sorrow. It is a godly sorrow he's called us to have. One of repentance, one that is really out for holiness to make things right. Everyone say meek. He said, blessed are the meek. We spoke about this last week. Blessed are those who are gentle, who are tender. Jesus was tough, but Jesus was also tender and, 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 and meek. So get over it. Be gentle and be tender. He's gentle, he's tender, yet he's strong. It's beautiful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Say hunger and thirst. What is he trying to say to his disciples here? Trust me, we could teach messages on every single one of them he's saying that he's the fountain you drink from and he's the bread you eat what is he saying he's the true source of righteousness hunger and thirst for what for righteousness blessed are the merciful say merciful he's teaching on being kind what does that mean blessed are those who are forgiving towards others people who are drenched in forgiveness 
Don't keep grudges. Don't keep hard hearts. You know that people, oh, I just can't stand that person. Every time I see him, I'm going to look at him with a bat. You know who you are. You walk into the room and you make sure you know that person doesn't like you. Well, well, maybe you are not merciful. Blessed are the merciful. What does that mean? There's forgiveness that constantly comes out from me. You're not dumb. You use wisdom, but you're merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Everyone say pure in heart. What is pure in heart? Well, we spoke about David. It's the ones who pursue him. His heart is set upon him. David, it was a man after God's own heart. It's a pursuing heart, purity of heart that pursues the king. Blessed are the peacemakers. Say peacemaker. Not a peacekeeper that brushes everything under the rug like so many of our good families do. We're not going to deal with this one. So you know what? We're going to just push it there and let's keep going. And tomorrow we just ignore the problem and hopefully we'll keep the peace. Do you know that that's not the biblical perspective? The biblical perspective, biblical perspective, it's not to keep peace. The biblical perspective is to make peace. Peacemaker, not peacekeeper. Peacekeeping, what that does is it'll destroy the next generation. Peacemakers will not only set you free, but sets free the next generation. I can't be a peace, I can't be a peacekeeper and let my son follow the sins of his father. I need to be a peacemaker to set the pave, pave the way so that my son could live in a freedom, that my daughter could live in a freedom. We're not called to keep peace, make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. They go to it. They run to it. They grab this person and that person. Let's go. And we'll stay here till 5 o'clock in the morning until this stuff is settled. Why? I make peace. I'm not just going to keep peace so we could coexist together. We're not going to coexist. We're going to love each other. We're going to come together. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's someone that reflects his character in all things. To keep peace. To find ways to make peace. One who is involved rather than one who stays uninvolved. Oh, I don't like this. So I'm never going to, you know what? I'm not going to complain. So I'm going to talk about you, but I won't talk to you. You're just a, you're not a peacemaker. It's someone who is filled and is involved with another person or a situation. And says, I'm going to do whatever I can. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. And what does the word persecuted mean? What is the teaching behind persecuted? That we value him above all other things in this world, even if we're wrongly treated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. None of this is found without righteousness. There is no way I could be poor in spirit, mournful, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, and persecuted for his sake if I don't have the righteousness of Christ living in me. He was calling the disciples to live in this in order to truly serve the world, in order to truly be a loving neighbor. And what does he say in verse 12? Rejoice now and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Listen, I want to be those eight things, but I want to live verse 12. I want to rejoice and I want to be exceedingly glad for great is my reward in heaven. I need to be a loving neighbor. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I want to be a loving neighbor. Micah says, oh man, what is good. God has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? You know what Micah the prophet says? He requires for you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. True religion. Everyone say true religion. Is to operate from living in his righteousness. 
Oh, he's shown us, Mike. Man, the prophet Micah says it. He has shown us what is good. He has shown us what is right. And Micah says what the Lord requires for us to do is to do right. What is he saying by that? Do righteousness. Do righteousness. Do justly. Do merciful. Do humble. Loving neighbor. You're, you're holy. You're set apart. In Christ, we are God's right. Listen, in Christ, you are God's right, bro. All the other wrongs in Christ, you're his right. Angel, in Christ, you're his right. I don't care about your rap sheet. I don't care about your fallen places. In Christ, you're his right. You are his right in Christ. You are set apart. We are God's right. What is that? We are the righteousness in the world. We leave a legacy of his love to the world. I am his righteousness, and I am called to leave a legacy. Someone says, and I'm done for real, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but he delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, brings forth fruit in its season, leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I want to live in the prosperity of God's love in this world. I want people to receive medicine from my leaves i want to be connected to the rivers so that all those can swim and receive life but who do you think you are nothing but god's righteousness in christ and because i'm god's righteousness in christ that's the whole conversation that tito was saying that we could have with one another i don't have to continue to remind tito that he is a sinner we passed that level that tito is a sinner and that i'm a sinner but now i can look at him and treat him and begin to lift him up as god's right in christ that's a whole different kind of conversation now that's a whole different way of living together. I love how Eugene Peterson writes it. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at the sin saloon. This is not necessarily concrete Bible. This is just Eugene Peterson's view here. You don't slink along dead end road. You don't go to smart mouth college. Though it's very biblical. Instead you thrill. You thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden. You bear fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. Loving neighbors, this is true religion. Come on, get connected. This is true. True religion, I'm a loving neighbor. I'm God's righteousness in Christ. Amen? I'm God's. We are God's righteousness in Christ. Come on, can you just join me in prayer there for a moment? Come on, examine your heart. Lord, the only way I could be a, a loving neighbor, the only way I could display what true religion is, is by truly being transformed by your righteousness. I, I need to change the way I think, the way I speak, the way I live. I want to be the righteousness. Come on, you've been wronged. Come on, you've been spoken ill about. Come on, you have every right to tell the whole world how right you are, how wrong that is, and how wrong they are. But who really cares? All the world really needs to see is that you live out as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Be a loving neighbor. Don't let the things of this world harden your heart because they have to me. Don't let the things that people say harden your heart. 
Don't let the things that happen in your family harden your heart. Don't let the things that happen in the church harden your heart. Come on. I'm telling you, let the righteousness of God begin to live in you. Let true religion begin to pour out of you. Be a true loving neighbor. Oh, righteousness, come. Come and live within me. Oh, the right of Christ live in me. So that I could be a true loving neighbor. Come on, if you know that's you, you don't have to come up here. We've already challenged you today. But if you know God's calling today, just raise your hand with me and say, Lord, that I would live out true religion. That I would be a loving neighbor. As you lift up your hands, that's a sign of surrendering. Lord, I surrender my life. Come on, right there, just start praying. Come on. Lord, I I release my life to you. I release my heart. I, I release all unrighteousness to you. I pray that your righteousness would begin to live in me. Come on, begin to confess that. Begin to make that alive in you. I pray, Lord, that the righteousness of Christ would become alive in me so that I would truly be a loving neighbor. A loving neighbor would erupt. Oh, that you would pray it today. That you believe it today. Don't numb your heart. 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 Let your heart be soft as clay. Let him do away with the heart of stone. Lord, crush, Lord, crush. Come on, some of you, you know why you're continuing the crushing? Because the heart is still being taken through the process of being the clay in which he could mold it into his liking. Come on. There's a crushing of grapes that brings forth worthy wine. Come on, let new wine come out from you because there's a crushing. Oh, loving neighbor, let it come out. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. You know, every single person in here in their truth, in their totality, Not just in what they say, but how they thinketh. You know the thoughts when they're alone. You know the works when they're alone. You know the ones that are done in truth and you know the ones that are done in in falsehood. In every single one of our lives, there's not one, there's not, listen, we could fool man. We could fool the very ones that we live with, but there is one that will never be fooled and it's you. So we come before your presence and we ask you that your righteousness would become alive and that true religion would become alive and that I would become the loving neighbor to this world. So Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room. You're doing a mighty work. You're challenging us. If we're not leaving here just blown away, if we're not leaving here really just convicted and really moved with some of the things that are being said here, Lord, Lord, I don't even know if we have a heartbeat. Touch our hearts, Lord, and Touch our minds, Lord. Let us really grab this word and these teaching and put them and align them with our lives and see where we fall. And really observe ourselves in a mirror and let the transformation of your spirit, let it begin to flow. That every single one of us as we are in this fourth week would truly become that which you're calling us to be. A loving neighbor. May this be your attitude.
May this be who you are from this time forward, from this place forward. Lord, we just love you. And Lord, we honor you. And we give you glory and we give you praise. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Together we say, Amen.